To begin with, from the Third Coast International Audio Festival and Chicago Public Radio, I'm Gwen Maxi, and this is ReSound. It starts with a sentence. To begin with, they never got along. Then a pre-recorded voice. Ich bin ein Milliner. A rhythmic noise. Yes! And then the next thing you know... These are the rules. These are the rules. 99 ways to tell a radio story. ReSound is a remix of found sound, sound bites, documentaries, music, mayhem, and assorted oddities we dig up where no one else is looking. Today, we'll be talking about the Third Coast Festival's audio experiment, 99 Ways to Tell a Radio Story, with the festival's managing director, Julie Shapiro. What happens when you give people a few rules and free reign to make a short radio story about anything they want? Well, you get stories about Thomas Edison's electrocuted elephant, divorced parents who are still dating, and the first recorded case of conjoined fraternal twins, just to name a few. Stay with us. 99 Ways Entry Number 20, They Didn't Get Along, by Michael Hurst and Rick Moody. Description. An inquiry into the nature of human relationships over the course of eons, featuring musical accompaniment in diverse time signatures and a British narrator. Production style, unclassifiable. To begin with, they didn't get along. Jack and Diane, Thelma and Louise, Punch and Judy, Baskin and Robin, Rowan and Martin, Ogilvy and Mather, Ricky and Lucy, Jarndyce and Jarndyce, Huntley and Brinkley, Abbott and Costello, Burns and Allen, Scylla and Charybdis, Reagan and Bush. They didn't get along. They didn't get along. They didn't get along. They didn't get along. In their middle years, they didn't get along. Austria and Hungary, India and Pakistan, Lebanon and Syria, Paraguay and Uruguay, Iran and Iraq, Ethiopia and Eritrea, North and South Korea, Corinth and Athens, China and Tibet, Russia and Ukraine, Turkey and Greece, Britain and France. They didn't get along. They didn't get along. They didn't get along. They didn't get along. During the missing years, they didn't get along. Apache and Choctaw, Hopi and Navajo, Tamil and Sinhalese, Catholic and Protestant, Protestant and Protestant, Catholic and Jew, Catholic and Muslim, Muslim and Jew, Serbian and Albanian, Bosnian and Croat, Magyar and Romani, Armenian and Georgian, Chechnyan and Slav, Czech and Pole. They didn't get along. They didn't get along. They didn't get along. They didn't get along. At the end of the day, they didn't get along. Down and out, sacred and profane, Beautiful and damned, first and foremost, shimmy and shake, latest and greatest, state and main, Venus and Mars, thrust and parry, lift and separate, clean and sober, rock and roll, cannon and fugue, black and white and yellow and red and tan and indigo and tangerine and fuchsia and mauve. They didn't get along. 
You're listening to ReSound. I'm Gwen Maxi. I'm with Julie Shapiro, who spearheaded the 99 Ways to Tell a Radio Story project, in which we solicited the public to do short radio stories for us. And we got some wonderful, wild, very weird pieces coming in from all over the world. Julie, how did you come up with this 99 Ways idea? Well, the Third Coast has sort of earned a reputation of being curators over the years. We collect all this work from all over the world, and we share it with people, whoever's out there, to listen. At some point, we decided we actually wanted to bring new work into the world, not just collect work that was already made and sort of redistribute it. So we started about three years ago this short docs project where we'd commission four small pieces every year based on a single topic, and then we'd share those with the world. But this year, we decided to try something a little bit different. We just knew we wanted to try something different. So that was in the back of our heads for about six months after the last batch of short docs. So about almost a year ago, last December, I was at a reading at Quimby's, a small bookstore in Chicago, and was listening to this guy, Matt Madden, present a project that he had been working on for a really long time called 99 Ways to Tell a Story, Exercises in Style. Matt's a cartoonist from Brooklyn, and what he had done essentially is taken one scene or one little small story that he came up with, a very banal sort of day in the life of Matt Madden, and drawn it in eight comic book panels. And then he proceeded to investigate this story and explore all these ways to tell it. And he ended up drawing it in 99 different ways. So if you flip through the book, there's different points of view, there's different genres of comics, there's different perspectives, all of these 99 versions of the same story he told from the beginning. So I'm sitting there at Quimby's, and for some reason, immediately, my brain was drawn to this thought, what's the audio equivalent of this project? Could we figure out a way to get 99 versions of the same radio story? 99 Ways Entry Number 22, The Yakuza Codes, by Christian Gosser. Description. Will Midori and her brother Yoshitoro overcome their antipathies and meet again? Production style could have been bigger than a Hollywood blockbuster. A. To begin with, they never got along. B. They are brother and sister. C. Midori ran away when she was 15 and became the number one elevator girl in a big bookstore in Tokyo. And D. Yoshitoro became the grand master of profanities on Japanese television. Also, Midori used to hate her brother. She now spends her lonely evenings watching his show and nurtures sisterly tenderness for him. But Yoshitoro has a dark secret. A. Losing his money in pachinko gambling dens run by the Yakuza, Yoshitoro became their instrument. B. The Yakuza syndicated his show to a Japanese cable network in the US. C. They promised, we will protect the American morality by bleeping the worst profanities. But D. The are secret codes for Yakuza franchises in the US. This leads to many villainies, the most horrible being the Chicago incident of October 28. A. The morning after hearing this bleep sequence, Asakawa-san, a mild-mannered accountant, takes the blue line to the loop. B. At 7.50 a.m. he hacks into the CTA communication system. Thank you for See, as soon as Igor, Russian box champion turned construction worker, hears the message, he picks up two hammers. The El Cieguito, the suave street singer, forwards the code with his song. E, passing by gorgeous computer wizard Jane D, smiles knowingly. 
F. Entering the lobby of the Second City Trust Tower at 7.59, she pretends to stumble. G. In fact, the rhythm of her high heels crushes the skyscraper's security system. But this is not the story I intended to tell you. I want to tell you how Midori and Yoshitoro meet again. After taping the aforementioned show, Yoshitoro accidentally walks into a bookstore. Wow, what a lovely voice, he whispers. What else would you say, did he think? A. This sexy voice should be on my show. B. I should ask her out. C. She sounds familiar. If only I could see her face. Or D. So what is the audio equivalent of the Matt Madden Project, 99 Ways to Tell a Story? Where did you start? What we basically did was establish a couple rules, and these are things that the Third Coast staff decided on with Matt Madden's help. That's the important part of this. From the um, that day in December, I went up to him and said, Hi, I work for this radio festival. I have this idea that maybe this project could sort of be transposed onto the radio medium. What do you think? And he was really positive from the beginning. He was really interested in collaborating. So I have to give him a lot of credit for trusting this sort of harebrained idea that just came up in his Q&A that day. So basically, he was in on the process from the beginning. And we started talking about ways that we could come up with some rules that would limit people's options in approaching the story, but that would be open enough that it wouldn't be too intimidating for sort of first timers to get involved with radio. That's a tall order. Well, there was a hard balance there because we wanted the stories to be restricted enough so you would there'd be some continuity between them and you would know they were part of the project. But we also wanted them to be open enough again that it, you could come to the you could come to the rules and and figure out a story to make with them. So the first most obvious rule was we gave people a beginning sentence and we said interpret this sentence in any way you can either literally or metaphorically or through sound or through the essence of what the sentence is, which is, to begin with, they never got along. To begin with, they never got along. To get your bare minerals. I really wasn't friendly with him. He wasn't friendly with me. In I the beginning, him. they never got along, because Windows and the antivirus programs have different values. Which sets up some conflict. Tension, conflict, always good in a radio piece. and gives you know, drama. We're imagining screams, we're imagining fights, we're imagining tears. I mean, there's a lot of audio that comes to mind for us immediately when we thought of that sentence. To begin with, they never got along. Tried to stay apart, but before too long. Be back together, side by side. Hamilton and Bert, perfect founders. To begin with, they never got along came Polly. They never got mystery men. They never got flirting with disaster. If my friends can't understand Ben Stiller's sheer brilliance, I really don't know how they're going to ever understand me. They never, they never begin with. Never begin with. To begin with, they got along. They begin with. Never Never got along. So that was the first rule. And then we talked about since they're going to be sound based, we should make a rule about which sounds should be included in the piece. So people could put any sounds in the piece, but we made the rule that they had to include three specific sounds. One was a pre recorded voice. And by this, we were thinking like answering machine messages, the grocery self-checkout, um, something like at a parking gate. There's so much pre-recorded voice in the world right now. I thought that would be a pretty easy one to get. Thank you for calling customer service. A member of our staff will be right with you. And so our struggle must continue. Uh, the second sound was a rhythmic noise. So again, possibilities are endless, but through sound, you should be able to identify what that was. 
and the third sound was an exclamation. So this had to be something that really stood out from the rest of the little piece as an exclamation. But not necessarily spoken. Right, exactly. It could be, it could be an, an oral exclamation or, or a sound that actually sort of just separates itself from the rest of the piece so you could distinguish it. Warning! Warning! Um, and then the last rule was the pieces had to be exactly 2 minutes and 30 seconds. The final stipulation, it wasn't really a rule, but it was a request that we made that when people submitted their ways to the website, they also chose a style that would define or explain the approach they took in making their story. Uh, Why was that important? One of the ideas behind the whole project was to push people to think about creating these stories in different ways. So we really didn't want these to sound like 99 little all things considered pieces. We really wanted people to explore the possibilities and the potential for for bringing audio into storytelling. So we thought that if we really highlight that style by asking them to define what they've chosen to do, we would help them keep in mind that they should be pushing beyond their, their normal just public radio style. And some of the styles you got were really interesting, weren't they? <laughs> some of the styles were better than the pieces, actually. Um, <laughs> but uh, others were just as good. And some of the some of the styles that jumped to mind, there was one that was called Hysteria Verite, and that was the story of getting some kids off to school one morning. That was great. There was Bedtime Story. There was Absurdist Holiday Fiction. One was a TV sitcom style, which was hilarious. We've all been singing the theme song around the office for months. And, uh, yeah, I think this style hopefully just helped people think a little bit more about how they were choosing to tell the stories. 99 Ways Entry Number 27, The Secret Life of an Australian Mother, by Eurydice Aroni, Tom Morton, and Stuart Brown. Description, domestic duet for mother and six-year-old. Production style, hysteria verite. To begin with, they never got along. The Secret Life of an Australian Mother. George! Come on! Leave that money there. Put it back! Put it back! Alright, good. Hey, you've got it in your hand, I can tell. Give it to me! Give me that money! I don't care. I've only got one jumper on. It's a cold. I'll put a coat in your bag. Yeah, but at put your coat sc- on. At school, I have hot chocolates, and you can buy them to to keep you warm. Hush, my darling. Hush, my darling. Hush, 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 my darling. Come on, darling. Oh gosh, I've got to wash some skivvies today. The rats didn't eat the poison. You're, you're tricking me. I don't want any crazy seal noises. Where is the rat poison? Where is the rat poison? I'm not supposed to tell you. You're a small child. No, you can't. You're going on an excursion. Ordinarily, you could wear a dirty skivvy, but not today. Will you be all right? Yeah, 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 I'll be all right. Okay, see you, okay, see you later. And Georgie, come on. You should have thought of that this morning before you hit Dad and me. George! Oh, it's cold, Mum. Well, why use 
seem so unhappy at home in the mornings? I don't like to get up because I don't like to get up to school care. Or vacation care. Or school. No, I don't. And you don't like it at home either? I do. I like my poo, my foxy, my cow, and the television, and, and everything. And my nice warm bed. Okay, so you've created these rules and asked people to follow them, and was that too restrictive for people, or did it foster new ideas? You know, if you just give people the blank page, would that be more successful or less successful in soliciting new work? Our whole hope with the project was to see what sort of creativity would be triggered by giving people rules, to see what sort of creative energies could be tapped into through constraint. So, And what we found, actually, is so many of the producers appreciated the constraint. They wanted the prompts. They needed a starting point. Uh, we had a lot of people who had never made radio before, but finally they had this opportunity and a sort of structure to get involved with. So the blank page, I think, can often be more intimidating for people. And, and these rules set them up with a distinct starting point to get started with. How many people do you think, I mean, just off the top of your head, do you think never had done anything like this before, picked up a microphone for the first time, and actually was were able to produce a two-and-a-half-minute audio story. I know there are at least five or six because uh, those people told me when they sent their MP3 files in. And there was one woman from Chicago who was just great. Uh, she submitted a piece. She made the piece called The Interloper. And when we were presenting these live in Chicago, I contacted the local producers to see if they'd like to join us for the evening and come and talk about the experience of making their way. So I was on the phone with Kay Collins explaining this all, and I said something like, well, yeah, we just wanted to invite the producers out for the evening to talk about making the work. And she didn't say anything right then, but literally it was a long phone conversation. About 10 minutes later, she just sort of erupted into this peal of laughter and said, I can't believe you called me a producer back then. And <laughs> it really meant a lot to her to be taken seriously as an audio maker, which we just found so touching. So she said, oh, you just made my day. And I said, no, no, you made our day. This is really what we were hoping this project could could achieve. And Kay's piece came out really sophisticated. She used her exclamation was interpreted through sound, and she had this really foreboding sound that represented um, a, a medical machine. So she really she really rose to the challenge. And um, we, were, we were really happily amazed by what she was able to come up with. 99 Ways Entry Number 69, The Interloper, by Kay Collins. Description. The story of a woman's fifth breast biopsy. Production style. Third person narrative. To begin with, they never got along. The parasitic interloper trying to conquer the body of the unwilling host woman. The tumor was clever. It hadn't taken root in an obvious place where the woman could have easily discovered it. She had already scheduled a routine mammogram when she noticed the marble-sized lump under her arm. Her usually implacable radiologist had used the word worry, while past lumps had only elicited concern. This one was also greedy. It had hijacked a lot of blood sources for nourishment. The woman saw a breast surgeon the following day. She knew this drill all too well. It would be the fifth time 
that she would meet a surgeon for a biopsy. She wondered if her luck had run out. Quaking in her sandals, for it was August, her anxiety was palpable as she filled out forms. She wasn't sure how to answer the question, are you in pain today, because she didn't know if psychological pain counted. The wait seemed interminable. Finally, they called her into an exam room. The technician handed her a robe and left while she undressed. It struck her as odd, this ritual, given that he would soon see her breast anyway. The surgeon arrived. A gentleman, he explained the procedure as he set up an ultrasound machine. He would shoot a needle into the tumor, take a picture of the needle, then draw sample material for pathology. He injected a local anesthetic. He then picked up a long needle housed in a cylinder that reminded the woman of a cake decorating kit her mother had once owned. She tried to relax. She tried to think of something, anything, besides what was happening to her. So where did this notion of creativity by constraint come from? Because you admit you're not the first person to think of it. Oh, right. Certainly not. This is something that's been done in hundreds of different variations. Um, I was inspired Matt, who was by turn inspired by a French literary group called Oulipo. And uh, specifically, Matt was inspired by a book that was written by the founder, one of the founders of Oulipo, Raymond Cano, and that book was called Exercises in Style. And what Cano did was wrote a very boring short story about a guy who gets on a trolley, kind of bumps into another guy who he finds kind of disagreeable, and then runs into, sees him later during the day, like at a public space. So it's really a, a really boring story. But what Cano did was he went through and rewrote that story 99 different times in all these different styles. One day at about midday in the Park Monceau district, on the back platform of a more or less full S bus, now number 84, I observed a person with a very long neck who was wearing a felt hat which had a plaited cord round it instead of a ribbon. This individual suddenly addressed the man standing next to him, accusing him of purposely treading on his toes every time any passengers got on or off. However, he quickly abandoned the dispute and threw himself onto a seat which had become vacant. Mathematical. In a rectangular parallelopiped moving along a line representing an integral solution of the second-order differential equation. Official letter. I beg to advise you of the following facts, of which I happen to be the equally impartial and horrified witness. Today, at roughly 12 noon, I was present on the platform of a bus which was medical. After a short session of heliotherapy, I was afraid I might get put in quarantine, but I managed to climb without mishaps. It was midday. The bus was being got into by passengers. They were being squashed together. A hat was being worn on the head of a young gentleman, which hat was encircled by a plate and not a ribbon. A long neck was one of the characteristics of the young gentleman. The man standing next to him... But so you get the story told 99 different times, and amazingly... I can really vouch for this. Amazingly, it never gets tiresome. Like, every page is so exciting as you realize what tool he's used to write the story and that 
you just flip through the pages and it gets more and more exciting. Free verse. The bus full. The heart empty. The neck long. The ribbon plated. The feet flat. Flat and flattened. The place vacant. 99 Ways Entry Number 41, Looking at Topsy, by Brett Beyer. Description. A radio story about a movie by Thomas Edison that is very hard to watch. Production style. Historical tribute. Like a moth, you will be drawn to the flames as she presents her demonic... Warning, what you are about to see may scare you out of your wits. Some people run out To begin with, they never got along, AC and DC. They were just too different. So the, the whole issue was AC versus DC. Um, Edison, the genius that he was, um, did not come up with the best system because DC does not travel long distances and it loses its power. And, you know, the electricity that we all take for granted now is all about AC. Well, there was an elephant who worked here in Coney Island named Topsy. She helped build Luna Park, which was across the street. And Edison wanted... Um, to kill off his competition, and he started a very deliberate campaign in the media to convince people that that AC is dangerous, and if you accidentally touch it, you'll die. And one of the guys that they hired to sweep up after Topsy, not her main trainer, but one of the people who was supposed to care for her, well, he was a joker, and he thought it'd be cute to feed the elephant lighted cigarettes, and so he did. she ate it, and it didn't taste very well. I guess it gave her heartburn, and uh, she reacted as any decent animal should react, just killing the person who did that. So Thomas Edison, he wanted to prove how dangerous his competitor, Tesla's AC current was, as opposed to his DC current. He came down and he electrocuted Topsy using AC on the site of the old Elephant Hotel. He actually sent a crew from New Jersey to do two things. One, to electrocute the elephant, and two, to film it and make a movie out of it. So the light comes on and electrocuting an elephant by Thomas Edison. And there are people sort of standing around watching. She's looking around a bit. Her um, trunk is, is sniffing. And suddenly there's this great burst of smoke and... And then she's still. And then her trunk curls up. She keels over. She just falls straight down. I think it is still worth remembering Topsy because um, it's not really the elephants that need to remember. It's not really the elephants that need to remember. So have you found examples of one idea built upon over and over again in other media other than the Ray Cano book that you mentioned? Yeah, and even Cano was inspired by J.S. Bach. So he, um, when Bach was composing things like The Art of the Fugue, he would start with a melody line and then sort of extrapolate from that. And um, I'm no expert, but the way I understand it and can hear when I listen to the recording is they start off very, each of the movements starts off very similar and then branches into these other um, sort of melodic directions based on a formula that he created that first melody with. So that was something that I think listening to The Art of the Fugue actually inspired Raymond Cano to go and 
think about his book, Exercises in Style. There's also things who like... inspired Matt Madden. Who yeah, inspired, inspired us. There's a long line of inspiration there. And somebody once suggested to me that really like the Iron Chef is an example of this, where people are given ingredients right. and the time limit and they have to That's go like produce right. a feast. This idea of um, creating rules and and working with creativity through constraint, that, that's just been um, practiced in so many ways. But has it, has it ever been done in audio, to your knowledge, before this? Not exactly like this, but we know, for instance, of a project on WFMU where uh, Kenny G, a well-known DJ on WFMU, used to start his radio every single week with this one-minute or so rant by this man about how much he loves cake. I'm so full of cake. If I ate any more cake, I'd have to vomit first. Sometimes I'll eat two or three cakes in a single day. It's really hilarious. I mean, it really sticks in your head. And so I think just sort of off the cuff one day, Kenny invited his listeners to recreate the cake rant. And he got like over 250 people sending in MP3s of their cake rant. Where's the cake? Original. Give me the cake. Get the cake. Merry cake. Cake, 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 If I ate any more cake, I'd have to vomit. Sometimes I'll eat two or three cakes in a single day. I love cake. The incredible thing is that people will go to so much effort to do these projects, and the payoff is just that you're participating in, in, in a project that a lot of other people are. In that case, there's no money involved. I'll say, where's the cake? Give me the cake. I'm Gwen Maxi. You're listening to ReSound. 99 Ways Entry Number 66, The Long Way Home, by David Henderson. Description. New light on the wanderings of Odysseus provided by the discovery of Penelope's answering machine tape. Production style. Pseudo-found audio. To begin with, they never got along. But still, you wanted Penelope and Odysseus to make it through as a couple. The Trojan War naturally kept them apart for a while, but what really bothered Penelope was all of Odysseus's dithering on the way home. Until now, we only had Homer's account to go by, but new insight is provided by Penelope's answering machine tape, recently discovered in an Athens thrift store. Hey, you've reached Penelope and Odysseus. We're not home right now. Some of us haven't been home for a very long time, but someone has to hold down the fort, raise our son, and fend off all these suitors. Anyway, if you'd like to leave a message, you know what to do. You know, my love, you know that if I had any say in the matter, I would be home with you right now, with every one of my bells on, cozying up with you with a nice bottle of red, feeding you figs and nibbling at your earlobes, and more, till the break of rosy-fingered dawn. But I seem to find myself unavoidably detained on this desolate island, a million miles from the one I love. Oh, that's you, by the way, Penelope. We just found this real chill place with a nice hotel. You'd love it, Penelope. We're going to relax and recharge and get back on the road soon. The hostess here is real sweet. Hey. Whoa. 
This place is cool, Penelope. And I had a sip of this juice. This nice lady gave me. There's like palm trees and 18 different kinds of falafel. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, now the guys are. <laughs> Why are they trying to shave that cat? Whoa. I'll be home soon. You're not gonna like this, Penelope. Believe me, I'm not thrilled myself. We were driving on I-80 today, making pretty good time, actually, when Diabetes Taurus broke down. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we were stuck on the interstate for four hours. Okay, Penelope, we've got the alternator on the Taurus fixed. I'm coming back soon, I swear. Please don't give those suitors any of my good beer. Ways entry number 33, Shaq and Kobe. Time is running out. By David Shulman. Description. This piece retells and remixes the NBA soap opera of Shaq and Kobe in an audio cartoon created with the on-the-court assistance of the talented Kevin Smith and amplified by music from Shaquille O'Neal, sampled game sounds, and press conference audio clips taken wildly and egregiously out of context. Production style, streetball. To begin with, they never really got along. Before the tip, you didn't even look at your former teammate, Kobe Bryant. Why not? You shook everybody else's hand. Merry Christmas, everybody out there. All right, thanks a lot, Shaquille. Music, please. I dribble around like basketball. People call me 18. From what I saw, they were good, but, you know, Kobe got a little big headers a little bit, you know, started shooting the ball more, not giving it to Shaq. And people st out there started saying Kobe was better than Shaq. Shaq's move, his move called a uh, black tornado where he, you know, let me put the ball down. Because he's posting up, he don't have the ball. So, so he probably has somebody on his back. Then he spins off of him real quick and catches the lob like right in the corner of the basket and dunks it. Kobe's best move is probably uh, his crossover fadeaway jump shot. You know, when he goes to the hole, does a crossover. Kobe's goal is him more though. It's Bryant with the step and the bucket. What a goal by Kobe Bryant. Shaq and Kobe. For three straight years, the duo had answered every challenge. Shaq, how much satisfaction do you take in that? Shaq, over here. Shaquille, back to Kobe for a second. Do you think there's ever been a team that's had two players on a level with the two of you? We've been through so much. That's what I told the guys the other day. I said, listen, man, we've been through way too much. We've been through... Uh, Kobe shooting air balls. Time is running out. Kobe Shaq says, yeah, I don't think you guys want to hear the details. Time Next time I want a cheeseburger, I just go to McDonald's. <laughs> Do you want me to shoot it?
What about the shack attack? Where's our hook, black? Yo, yo. We've been talking about the 99 Ways to Tell a Radio Story project, and of the 99 ways that you've been hoping to get, you have 74. And of the 74, four were chosen to be played at the 2006 Third Coast Conference in Chicago. The first one we're going to play is called Talk to Me About Love. Julie, what can you tell me about this specific piece? Uh, Talk to Me About Love was the second way to come in at the very beginning of the project. We were very excited because we thought that if, if all of the ways submitted rose to the excellence of this one, we'd be we'd be really set. We'd have a hard time picking four. And all of them are great, but some did actually sort of stand above to us. So this one was made by Jill Summers and David Whitcomb of Chicago. They're a husband and wife team, and they work together. And they uh, are heavily involved in recording. So uh, Jill also plays music, which you'll hear in the piece. She describes it as two curious siblings finally get what they think they've always wanted. It's a pretty much purely fictional approach to following the rules, and the style she chose to name it as was Nostalgic Lyric Memoir. they never got along. As children, he pulled her coarse braids until she cried, and she teased him mercilessly about his lisp. She pulled his two large ears, and he pinched the soft flesh under her arm to jolt her from her daily naps. He put garlic oil in her atomizer. She hid his dress shoes before prom. Even now, more than 20 querulous years later, He deigned to whisper to her suitors that she had hair from her waist to her knees. And she delighted in purloining his lovers with the siren-like voice she had inherited from their mother. The product of the only medically documented instance of two separate zygotes fusing in utero, the world's lone case of conjoined fraternal twins, in fact. It had been inconvenient, to say the least. But now, in the operating room, biting heavy lids, He turned to face her, and together they looked at the smooth, iodine-stained skin that bound them. As physically close as they had ever been, she now felt the vast expanse that kept him from her. And it was marked by the red dotted line of the doctor's pen. the anesthesiologists lifted masks onto their mouths one at a time, and the steely edge of the scalpel caught the light of the surgical lamp. Though no one else in the room heard it, to each the other's voice rang out resonant and clear. Wait. But it was too late. That was Talk to Me About Love by Jill Summers and David Whitcomb, one of the winners of the 99 Ways Project that we're listening to today. And 
You know, I, I just have to say that I cannot listen to this piece without bawling my eyes out. <laughs> and I don't know <laughs> Would if you it's, like some Kleenex, Gwen? <laughs> I don't know if it's because I'm extremely sentimental or hormonal or what it is, but there's something about this piece that just kills me. I think you, I mean, that's exactly right. And that's why we all, it was almost unanimous that this would be one that we chose. Well, one thing is that it's so well written. I mean, her choice of scene, it's so visual. We always say that radio is such a visual medium. And this story is radio at its best, I think, giving you a picture in your head that's so distinct. Um, and the, just the sensibility of the music coming in and the way the narration comes out. But I think one of its powerfulest moments is the climax, which mm-hmm. is also the exclamation, right. one of the rules, where she says, wait. Right. And it's it's like an anti-exclamation. It's quiet, it's understated, it's subtle. So she, it's such a sophisticated way to sort of bring out the whole thrust of the story. And, um, yeah, we just loved the writing and the music and the, the sound of it from start to finish. And also what you can accomplish in less than two minutes because the copy itself is – doesn't take up the whole two and a half minutes. There's music, there's sound. And in two, in like two minutes or less, you get this entire history of these two people. And it's painful and it's, oh, it just kills me. And you sort of put the, the story together retro, retrospectively because you start understanding. Right, as it goes. Right. It kind of unfolds and you don't know exactly what's going on. And then it all becomes clear and then right. it gets more complicated. Right. And it's just mind-boggling to me. You know, I should say that most of these ways bear many, many repeated listens, and you can hear them. They're all uh, archived publicly on the website, so uh, you should go back and listen to them in headphones. There's a lot of intricate sound design that might not be coming out as much over the radio, but if you go back and listen to this one in particular, you'll really start putting the pieces of the puzzle together in in ways that it kind of takes on more meaning every time you hear it, I think. We're going to move on to the next way. It's called Till Death Do Us Part, and it's by Sasha Aslanian. Julie, how did this come your way? What background can you tell us about this? Well, Sasha is a familiar name to us because she works for American Radio Works, which is the documentary unit from Minnesota Public Radio. And you hear their hour-long documentaries quite often on NPR, and Chicago Public Radio plays them on Sunday nights. So I remember immediately thinking, how the hell did Sasha make a two-and-a-half-minute piece? Because she's honestly, she's working with 60 Minutes usually. But um, she took a very sort of straightforward approach, found a real story in her life that absolutely fit the rules, and came up with this great little way. Uh, Sasha called her production style Tolstoyan, as in happy families are all alike. Every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. How true. <laughs> to begin with, they never got along. A home-built... Jesus Christ, the solid foundation. Well, this is from our marriage. The walls of prayer, covered by love. It is this Pastor Tina stone. Yeah. The guy had it right. God grant that the two of you. Yeah, just like just like God is the foundation for the church, the man is the foundation for the family. So I ask. I believed it then, and I believe it now. My parents, Paul Eslanian and Salford Ladstein, got married in 1963. They stayed together for 15 years. I, Salfried Ladstein, take thee, Paul Aslanian. She was only 11. <laughs> to my wedded husband. Listen to that Aaron voice. <laughs> They've been divorced for 22 years. My mom says when they were dating, she wrote down a list of all his criticisms of her. She should have known right then. Turn that damn thing on. No, I want to hear. I want to hear my voice again. I, I want to hear that sermon that I was so enraged during that yeah. sermon. 
I love that sermon. They're still dating. They still don't really get along. As a kid, I told people they got divorced because he's a Republican and she's a Democrat. And like the presidential cycle, elections every four years, my parents break up about every four years. Tonight, I caught them on a good night. You mind if I put my arm around your mother while I'm talking? <laughs> <laughs> Listen to that. Listen to that. Can't laugh. <laughs> I mean, we should really be ashamed of all of the agony that we've put everybody through besides each other. I went to a divorce court. It was surreal. That was over. It was over, and I thought, is that all there is to it? Free at last. Free at last. Praise God Almighty. Free at last. It's hard not to get caught up in my parents' drama. People I haven't seen in years always ask, what's up with your parents? It's like a soap opera they want to plug back into. Something that began when they were teenagers still consumes them as 60-year-olds. I'm guessing that maybe I should, um, I should pack up and, and let you guys resume your dream date without me. <laughs> Sound like a plan? Uh, no, I think you ought to just follow us upstairs with that thing. <laughs> <laughs> Till Death Do Us Part by Sasha Aslanian, one of the four winners of the 99 Ways to Tell a Radio Story project that we're listening to today. This piece also just gets you where you live because <laughs> who can't identify right. with this up and down, round and round relationship cycle that her parents are on. It's just so odd to think that it's your parents and not some phase you went through in your 20s. <laughs> you know? Right. It, it lives on. You know, it's funny. Sasha presented this her way at our conference to the group of radio producers, and so many people came up and said, I can relate. That's my. Those are my parents. I can tell that story. The other funny thing is that she uh, asked the audience if people understood that, that her father was, he was joking at the beginning when he comes off as a sort of Hardline, yeah, sexist, not very likable man, that he was totally joking. And um, a lot of people in the audience said, no, no, we thought that was him. So she she learned a little bit from the audience in that, and she wanted to be sure to tell everyone, no, he's, re- he was, he's really a funny guy, and he was, he was mocking what the preacher was saying. And so, But we thought this piece did a great job of laying out the rules perfectly. You know, she starts with the sentence, you hear the very methodical rhythm of the clock, which you can identify exactly. And then his exclamation is so hilarious, the free at last, free at last. There's no doubt that these rules were followed to the T, and it came in right at 2 minutes and 30 seconds. So uh, this was another really excellent example of of following the rules to make the small piece. Another reason we thought this was a good one to pick was because it's actually a little documentary. It's totally true. Um, you know, she has sound effects, but uh, the actualities are there. They're listening to the archival tape that's really from the 1960s. So we thought uh, a lot of the ways that were submitted took on a sort of fictional or dramatic element, but this one was absolutely solid as a real documentary. Our third winner of the 99 Ways to Tell a Radio Story project is called Au Debut uh, by Zoe Irvine from Scotland. And this is a completely different kind of piece. Right. Well, you were just talking earlier about how Jill's piece packs so much into two, less than two minutes. And sort of the exact opposite is true with Zoe's. It, there's actually no information in this. The, the way is about the process. It's completely like a meadow way. And there's nothing new. You take away nothing from this. But I don't mean that it's 
valueless because we thought uh, as just a listening experience, it's sort of intense in both of your ears with the whispering. Again, this is another good one to go put some headphones on and go back and listen to again. And we just kind of liked how this discussion unfolds in real time. There's no description of how it happened and there's no sort of summarizing it. You actually hear them trying to figure this out and trying and trying and trying. And we wouldn't say we picked this one because of the story, but more because of the approach and sort of expanding the idea of what actually could be done with these rules. So this is Au Debut and the style Inconclusive Linguistic, aptly named. Uh, but you can't know, but you've got to imply that they began to get along later. Mm-hmm. Ils ne jamais Au début. Uh, okay, At first. First in a row, to begin with. It's not translated. <laughs> <laughs> you see, you don't understand. The French mind. <laughs> Doesn't uh, think like that. With, no, no, that's it. But to begin with, uh, but what about? Ça se dit ça. Au début, ils ne s'entendaient pas bien. Non. Oui. Oui. En anglais, c'est to begin with, they never got along. Faut traduire ça. Au commencement. Non, mais to begin with, c'est pas. Euh... Non, mais c'est pas, il était une fois, là. Elle, c'est pas, c'est, 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 elle parle juste au début de la relation, quand ils se sont rencontrés, quelque chose de même. Là. Mais ça veut dire quoi, au... To begin with? Oh, au début, c'est pourquoi tu cherches le début. Au commencement, c'est correct. C'est au, euh, au début. Je connais le miracle with, mais je connais pas le begin with. Do we have to say exactly the same thing, or? No, no, you can choose. Je vais prendre ma version. C'est quoi ta version? Okay. Ben, je sais pas. You have début. your version? Um, Au début, ils ne, s'ent- ils ne s'entendaient pas bien. Oh. Ensemble? Non, pas ensemble. Ils ne s'entendaient pas bien. Ils ne s'entendaient pas bien. Au début, ils ne s'entendaient pas bien. So, I'm looking for slightly more secrecy, like you're just telling me this, and you're telling me in this ear. No? That was Au Debut by Zoe Irvine from Scotland. Now we're going to move on to our next way. It's called Boris the Mover, and uh, it's by a Canadian named Karma Jolly. This is just a lot of fun, this, this piece. Julie, what is the background on it? Well, actually, Karma had recorded the tape you're about to hear over two years ago and had sat on her shelf. And so when she read the rules to the 99 Ways Project, she immediately made a connection between this tape that had just been waiting for her on her shelf and a way that she could produce. So the description for Boris the Mover is, A crush results in betrayal. And the production style is moody, musical, and sample-based. 
I'm calling for Providian with the brand new visa no. offer. Hi, this is Aaron on behalf of Time Warner Cable and uh, Sorry. The reason for my call today is that GTE realizes that some of our customers may not, not be aware. Not interested. Boring. Telemarketers and me, we just don't get along. Hello, Boris calling in. But Boris is different. I was calling, calling to check with you if you need the moving or the delivery. We have the big truck and the strong men. An immigrant cold calling in a strange land. We work um, any time in providing the quality service, the strong amen, quality service delivery at a very, uh, very uh, low price. The strong amen, quality service delivery. I tell my coworkers about Boris and his courage, and I find out they've heard from Boris too. Some people hear from Boris every week, two or three times. Please, uh, to call, speak with me, is Boris, yes? Yes. Turns out Boris is the voice of a computerized system capable of beaming spam to upwards of 450,000 voicemail accounts a day. Boris, why? Yes. And uh, we will make you um, happy. Boris the Mover by Karma Jolly from Canada. I just love how playful this piece is. I mean, it's a small, tiny thing, but it's also kind of universal in so many ways. You know, it really, you can extrapolate it from it. You can go take it as far as you want it. Right. Talk about being able to relate. I mean, the telemarketing phenomenon is not distinct to Canada. So um, I think we can all get sort of a, a chuckle out of hearing that one. I also like how Karma took some liberties with the opening sentence. Um, and instead of actually using the exact words to begin with, they didn't get along. She opens with the two examples of hanging up on telemarketers and then sort of turns it into telemarketers and me. We just don't get along. Which brings up an interesting point. Some rules you're flexible about. But other rules, that 2.30, man, if you didn't come in at 2.30, you're out the door. Right. But the opening sentence, little flexibility, is that, you well, know, are you here's guys... how. Here's how. here's how I can explain that. We asked for interpretations of this idea. So that opens it wide to sounds or to sort of slightly different semantic approaches. But we didn't ask for an interpretation of 2 minutes and 30 seconds. We actually mm -hmm. said you have to hit 2 minutes and 30 seconds. And a lot of people actually took the time to write and say, do you really mean 2 minutes and 30 seconds? And we say, yes, we really mean 2 minutes and 30 seconds. That's not to say that everything up on the website follows that rule, but we really, uh, if it didn't follow the rule well enough, we didn't, we didn't consider it for the winning pieces.
We've been talking to Julie Shapiro, Managing Director of the Third Coast Festival, who spearheaded the 99 Ways to Tell a Radio Story project. To hear all of the entries from all over the world, go to our website, thirdcoastfestival.org. So we can't let this hour end without telling you about an absolutely fabuloso all-day event coming up on Saturday, March 6th. It's the second annual Third Coast Filmless Festival. Yes, you heard right. It is a film-less festival, meaning we make ourselves comfortable in a beautiful auditorium, turn out the lights, and listen to amazing radio stories together. Then we talk to the producers and ask them anything we want. But wait, of course, that's not all. There'll be popcorn and candy, a lobby filled with sound installations, and in the evening, a very special event. The launch of a groundbreaking new book, Reality Radio telling true stories and sound. And we're going to bring you none other than Ira Glass, Joe Richmond, and the Kitchen Sisters, all in person, talking to you, and deconstructing the magic of how they do what they do. We might even turn the lights on so you can see them. It all starts at 11 a.m. on Saturday, March 6th at the Museum of Contemporary Art, Chicago. For tickets and more information, go to thirdcoastfestival.org. ReSound is a production of the Third Coast International Audio Festival, an independent media arts organization in Chicago. I'm Gwen Maxi. The program is produced by Delaney Hall and curated by Johanna Zorn and Julie Shapiro. You can hear today's program at thirdcoastfestival.org, where you can also hear hundreds of outstanding documentaries from around the world and subscribe to our podcast. The festival is made possible with lead support from the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation and the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. Additional support is provided by the Boeing Company Charitable Trust, the National Endowment for the Arts, ExploreChicago.org, the city of Chicago's official tourism website, Chicago's Navy Pier, American Airlines, and the Center for Documentary Studies at Duke University. The festival was founded in 2000 by Chicago Public Radio. Music for ReSound is provided by Reckless Records in Chicago. If you want to contact us, we would love to hear from you. Email us at resound at thirdcoastfestival.org. ReSound returns next week with more radio that you can't hear anywhere else unless you live everywhere else. <laughs>